<laughs> you know, um, Thanksgiving is supposed to be a, a joyous day. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be a day of gathering a family, right? To, to share a meal with one another. Saying, and then you look at their face and say, hey, I thank you for being my brother or sister or friend, right? And you, you share a meal and you have this real connection with the person that you're, you're eating with. And it's a really nice environment. But often, though, uh, in, in this midst of the season, uh, it's a very stressful moment, too. Uh, Thanksgiving is one of those things that, for some, you enjoy because you're the ones who's eating and just kind of just conversing with everybody else. But there's somebody in there that's doing all the work, right? Right? So somebody, somebody's in the kitchen just slaving away, doing the turkey, right? Doing the stuffing, and you're just kind of doing it alone. And sometimes these stresses come. Uh, for us, we really never hosted a Thanksgiving dinner, but our stresses came when, um, when I hear other people just talking among themselves, especially brothers and sisters or sisters to sister. They usually ask, whose turn is it this year, right? Doing the cooking. <laughs> often me and my wife, we would travel down to my, uh, my in-laws, but we often ask each other, Who do we go to first this year? To my parents or your parents? Is today the year that... And then, and then in the midst of that, maybe you guys start fighting. Hey, last year we went to your parents. Why can't we just go to my parents? Right? Or can we do both? You know? And there's a, there's a lot of stress involved uh, trying to figure that out. And some of us here who do actually cook and host a meal... What happens is now you're worried about allergies, right? You're worried about people having some kind of sickness with the food that you create and you make. So a lot of, stre- a lot of stress is involved. In fact, uh, according to FEMA, fire increases during Thanksgiving Day because a lot of people start to deep fry their turkey. How many of us here deep fry their turkeys, right? Oh, none of you guys do? But some do, and because of that, more fires occur. So Thanksgiving could be very stressful moments for some of those people. And then those of us who don't really host anything, right, you, what do we think about? We think about shopping, right? The whole U.S. market really bent on this winter season that all of us will go out and spend a lot of money. Now, um, me and my wife, years ago, we decided to go to uh, one of these uh, 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 Woodbury Commons and say, you know what, this year, we're going to be smart. We're going to, like, divide and conquer, right? So my wife, I said, listen, I'm going to go to, you know, North Face and you go to J. Crew or something and, and we'll go each other and call each other and check the prices and say, yo, there's better deals here. So we, we'll do one of these tag teams, right? And, and we'll go through the entire store and, you know, looking for deals and, and so on and so on. You're so, like, consumed finding that bargain. And, and it just fills your heart with, like, maybe some excitement, right, to try to find that, that cheap polo T-shirt, whatever it is. And then uh, at 
12 a.m., we decided to go, and we did this one time, one time only. And around 3, 3 a.m. in the morning, we're so consumed and we're so tired. We're like, oh, my goodness, what do we do? You know, you know, we're driving away from Woodbury, and I see cars lining up, right? This is 3 o'clock in the morning, lining up to get into that exit. I'm like, these people are crazy, <laughs> right? But, you know, we're the smart ones because we did it right at, at 12 a.m. in midnight. So I felt good about that. So I get home on Saturday morning, and I'm thinking, man, did I really get a good deal? You know, and then, and then you start searching the web. And especially on Monday, because you know, marketers do it on Monday, like Cyber Monday, right? So you go on Monday, you start looking for the appliances that you bought. Look, don't judge me, I am a super bargain hunter. I, I, I can't stand it when... When I bought something and there's like a $2 discount, I got to return it and get the other one, right? It's just the way I am. Um, it, I got better, but uh, it's, it's still a problem. But, and then on Tuesday comes, and what happens? You find the better bargain, and then you go back to the stores, and then you return everything you may have bought. And then you deal with the lines. And so here he is again. On a, on a Thanksgiving day, you're consumed and you're tired from all these activities going on. But some of us, during these seasons, is a very depressing time. Now, I don't know many of you, but I, know, I heard some of you have traveled from California, and you are living here now. It was because of work. It may have because of schooling. It may have other uh, opportunities that you had in New York, and here you are. You left all your support behind back at home, and you're here you're alone. And often, during this time, you look at all these families that appear to have just wonderful time, and here you are, missing out of all of that, and you feel extremely depressed. And so often, I hear young people going through this funk, and because they're, you know, there's a presence of loneliness that rise up during this time. Maybe it's your, your friends who have relationships seems to be so awesome and you're the one who don't, you know. And those of us who are in the age of marriage maybe and you're, you, don't have a, you, know, you don't have a spouse and you're like, wow, where's my wife or my husband? And often these things really brings us down. But often, and I want to tell you, that we come to church, we come in this congregation and to experience this God that has so much more to give than what we ever expect for him to give. This God, at a moment's time, could bring your despair, your, 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 your place of depression in a given time. God could change that instantaneously. You know how he does that? He whispers to us. He whispers to our soul and he says, I love you. I love you. And when we first experience that voice of God, when he says, I love you, there's something that happens in your heart and you just, it just melts away. Everything else in the world doesn't matter anymore. That the, the creator of the universe, the almighty king, loves me. 
and he calls me by my name. So these seasons are a time when we should buckle down and call upon the name of the Lord. It is not the time where that we should be consuming ourselves with all these activities, but rather focus in this one area that this passage is talking about. Now, in the story that we read in Luke, has similar similarities of today and Thanksgiving. Because during this time, when Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem, it says between Samaria and Galilee, which is the northern side of Israel, Jesus was going through these towns, and many, many people came and asked him and called upon him. So Jesus, knowing to travel through here, these ten lepers, these ten lepers heard that Jesus was on his way to their town. Now think about these, these men or women. It doesn't really say who they are, but they are in a state of separation for their community. Leprosy became this horrendous disease, and it is a horrendous disease, but it became more than that. It became a, a symbol of separation. People thought that these people who had leprosy were just sinners, and, and they did something terribly wrong in their life, or their generation before did something terrible to, for them to be in this state. It goes way back to the wilderness. And in the time of the wilderness, when Moses was leading his people out of Egypt, there was a time when God was very present in their community. The Bible teaches us that their clothing would never tatter. Their, 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 their shoes that they came out of never worn out. There was a special covering there. So when you read uh, in the Old Testament, most often than not, the reason why God brought, uh, if you call it, calamities into the community is when they sinned before him. Because God exposed his power to all of his people. And, and when they started complaining about, oh, Moses, why did you bring us out here? You, you, can't, you brought us out to kill us. Oh, Moses, we used to eat meat back in Egypt. What do we eat now? Oh, Moses, give us water to drink, and so on and so on. So during this time, when these people complained, well, calamity happened. And Jesus allowed leprosy to occur in their bodies. And when these things happen, when the priests look at that person and say, yes, you have leprosy, they will be taken out of the camp and placed outside of the camp. Now, often when we read in the New Testament, we see that leprosy was a, a form of disease that the community excommunicated them. Excommunicated them and they never had any uh, connection with them. They just threw them on the side and just let them die. That's how during the time of Jesus was. But during the 40 years wilderness, when these things happened, the people would go out into the community and they would be alone they will recognize their sin that they committed before God. And, and the priest will go out to them, right? The priest will go out to them and say, and possibly counsel them. Look, you know these things happen because you have sinned. Repent. In a, in a few moments' time, those people, when they repented, God showed up and cleansed their leprosy. And they were able to come back into the community. 
That's what it was supposed to be. But over the years past, leprosy became this, this uh, stage of life. And it's, it's end of life, really, for them. And these 10 people who were just so down and out. And this is towards the end of Jesus' time. And when Jesus was heading to Jerusalem, all the stories about his miracle stories went out into the community. When I read uh, this passage, now on his way, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and uh, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So initially, we would think, yes, they're excommunicated from the community. They feel utterly depressed. They want to go back into the community and be accepted once again. But there's something here that I want to draw out. These men says they stood from a distance. When you read the New Testament, often many of these people who had these ailments, they just ran up to Jesus. Jesus, are you willing to heal me? And Jesus one time said, I am willing. Go show yourself to the priest. And he also had leprosy. There were men that he touched spit on mud and placed on the eyes and they were able to see. But here, these men, for some reason, they didn't approach that. They stood behind and said, from a distance. And that's the law. That was the law. They were not supposed to approach a ritually clean rabbi. Anybody, in fact. Because they will become ritually unclean. And they were supposed to scream out, unclean, unclean, to anybody who would come near them. So there's a tremendous heartache. But for some reason, these men, these, women, uh, these people who have leprosy, stood from a distance and they called out to Jesus. I have a feeling, because what we keep reading, it reveals their hearts. But I have a feeling these guys got together. Now, it is weird to have a Samaritan and uh, a Jewish people together in one group. But you could tell how broken this situation was for them. So the Samaritan, doesn't matter if you're Jewish, doesn't matter. You're all kind of lumped together and you're excommunicated. But I have a feeling these people got together and said, listen, look, Jesus is coming into town. Let's get a game plan going, right? Let's just say, when Jesus comes into town, Let's prepare our hearts. Because think about all these stories we've been hearing, right, guys? If we call out to Jesus with mercy, mercy, Jesus will respond. Now, it doesn't say here. But when we keep reading, it's kind of revealing where their hearts were. But nevertheless, I think they had clip notes, right? How to get healed by Jesus. And then they say, you know what? When we see him, Let's keep the law and let's stand from the distance and call out to him so that we're not breaking any laws. You know, I don't want to offend Jesus because he's the healer, right? So let's keep our distance and then call out to him. It tells us quickly that Jesus came and saw, heard them. You know, 
it tells us Jesus wept over Israel. When he, went, when he came down to Jerusalem, he wept for his people. Jesus is a guy who could see all of our hearts. There is no hiddenness that we could hide from Jesus. Amen? There's nothing we could hide. Whatever their hearts were, Jesus could see it all. But yet, Jesus had compassion over these ten. And he says, go, show yourself to the priest. And these men, uh, these, these people who are leprosy, they listened. If I was there, wait, wait, that story's a little different, Jesus. Look, the other situations, it, it appears that you cleansed them right in front of them. And they said thank you, and they went on their merry way to the priest. But this is a little different. I, I don't know where they were. They were hearing this. They're, they're saying, Jesus... Have mercy on us. And then Jesus instantly says, go show yourself to the priest. I don't know where their heart was, but I think they had a game plan. Whatever Jesus says, let me follow. In some ways, we often come to church this way. I think some of us are kind of, we, you know, you guys have been here for many years. And we have many of our family members attending their respective churches for many years. But maybe on your occasion to examine, you wonder why my life is not changing. Why do I feel so fell apart from God? Why do I feel I'm walking in the, in the steps with Jesus? I don't know what your expectations are coming to church. But you know what? Jesus here was willing to heal whatever conditions they were in in their hearts. And Jesus met fully at that point. Some of us come to church because, I don't know, we get a free meal. Some of us come to church for just spending time today. Some of us come to church because it makes me feel good to be in church. I'm not saying this to feel, make you feel uh, ashamed. But I wanted to resonate with you that everybody comes to church with that attitude. Initially, I think in many ways, we are consumers. We come to church not knowing what's going to happen to our lives. We come to church and we start hearing the gospel. We start hearing about Jesus' love and that he is the creation of all things. And slowly but surely, our hearts starts to change, and then we start to respond. So we no longer become consumers of God's power or God's anointedness or anything that we're coming after for. But something changes in our hearts. It makes us whole. And I want to encourage us today that we should be coming to church not because of all of these things that are happening. That we are coming to church because Initially, when we first started our uh, follow grace groups, it tells us that he did not come for the well, right? He came for the sick. And he associated that sickness with sinfulness. All of us are sinful. All of us fall into that category. And we need Jesus. We need his presence. So, They go, and they go. 
They follow. They had a game plan. This is how we're going to get healed. And then one of them, out of all the people, the Samaritan, looks at his healing. He's like, oh man, I'm healed. It really worked. But there, something happened. It wasn't an attitude of consumerism, but it was an attitude of thanksgiving. These other nine, I think they had religious ideas. And you know what? They probably thought about, man, what am I going to do? I remember seeing that girl or something, you know? And I could approach that person now. I could be part of the community now. I could eat with them now. I could join and rejoin my family now. Maybe all of these thoughts were happening. Maybe it was religious thoughts. It was nothing but just check and balances for them. And they went. They got what they needed from the healer. They got what they needed from, their, from Jesus. I no longer need him. I got what I need. Now I'm going to go my merry way to the priest and show myself to them. But this Samaritan did not do that. He saw the cleansing of his body. And there was overwhelming joy. And I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe reaching a little bit too far. But this whole idea of going showing yourself to the priest was more, I think it was more in tune in the Jewish community. But the Samaritan, I don't know, how often do they do that? But maybe he didn't resonate with that story. Maybe he wasn't religious in that way. Maybe he didn't resonate. But yet, whatever it was, that healing brought a sense of joy and a sense of thanksgiving. And it tells us, And he came back and says, he ran to Jesus and he threw himself. He, he, prosper, you know, he just laid down on the ground and hugged his feet. Jesus, thank you. There is no other form of extreme humility other than that. And he knew, he was praising God. Whatever had just happened to his life, it was nothing but God. And there was... Extreme joy. Extreme joy. And he was so full of, and now he is no longer from the distance. He's not praising Jesus from a distance. But now he is right there with him. Amen? He wanted a relationship with Jesus. He wanted to grow with Jesus. This profound miracle that occurred to him had more deeper meaning Because Jesus says something else. He said, where's the other nine? It's like a rhetorical question. Jesus knows. He's not trying to find an answer. He sees their hearts. They were consumers. They got what they needed from me. Now they're going on their merry way. But this Samaritan, this foreigner, has come back to worship who I am. It's a beautiful story. I don't know, sometimes I think, I grew up in the church. I have so many ideas of what church is and what Christianity is. And over the years, a lot of things changed. And a lot of the things that I hold in the past hinders my walk with Jesus. Sometimes my judgment with other people becomes very stale and maybe even harsh because I have these ideas, these religious ideas of my, my, my relationship with this faith we call Christianity. But Jesus is inviting you not to a concept, not to some consumerism. He is inviting all of us 
into his relationship in his presence. Amen. So this man comes back. He had no idea what's going to happen. But Jesus says to this foreigner, your faith has made you well. This is, a, this is like a theologically explosion in my mind because Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. But this guy receives something that, that happens before the cross. Jesus says, you are well. And he's not talking about the external. He's talking about the heart. Right? He's well in his heart. There is no more scars in his heart. Because in that moment of receiving Jesus and going back to think, thanksgiving to Jesus, something happened to his heart. It's been renewed. And I think, I believe that this man or this woman who came to respond this way was one of the front runners, I would say. When Jesus died on the cross, he must have been so confused about that too. But when they saw and when the disciples were going out to spread the good news that Jesus, in fact, did not die, he has risen from his dead and he is alive. And can you imagine the celebration again that happened in his heart? I am going to become a Jesus follower. You know, um, we often forget what church is about. I, I think it's good that we started this follow series. And I think Andy Stanley nails it, right? This thing that we do together, this community, it is not a community that we do events together alone. It is not a community that just a matter of just feeling good with one another. I know you, you know me, let's, let's live on. But this community is not just about those things, but more than anything else. Jesus says, you are fishers of men. You are called to be a disciples of Jesus. And we come together in these presence, and when we come together as a congregation, when we lose sight what church is, then, and when we add all these things to church, it, it diminishes that power that God has started with all of us. In fact, we may even become consumers again. And that is something that we have to fight with all of our might. Uh, years ago, um, I had an opportunity to visit Rikers. Uh, not because I'm a saint. <laughs> I worked for an organization. They had a prison ministry. And, you know, uh, I was just there and just experiencing the whole experience with the, with the organization. And a um, uh, few weeks prior of visit to the Rikers, a, a man wrote an, uh, a letter to our organization. And he wrote, he, he's like, this is, you know, so-and-so, and... Um, I've been placed in incarceration because I shook my daughter, baby. My, my, my daughter is in, uh, in a state of retardation, and, you know, she's hurt. And I need to talk to somebody. I want to I wanna invite you. And so the letter was invitation for one of us to come into Rikers. So uh, my, uh, my director said, hey, why don't you go? I'm like, you serious? I don't want to go, right, in my heart. <laughs> you know, because every time I see it on the news, right, like these guys who shake their baby, I get angry. I get 
in, you know, I get so angry in my heart. And I don't really resonate with people like this. And I'm like, no, I, I don't know what to say. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, you know? And I'm like, all right, I'll go. And I went. I've never been to Rikers. Anybody here went to Rikers before? No, oh yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about, right? I had to read up on like, what do we do to get into Rikers? I read stories, I'm like, oh man, this is not what I want to do this afternoon, right? And they're talking how many hours they have to stay. So I get there and I'm just already, my tension is high and I'm just really stressed out. I don't know what to say, what to minister to him. I mean, I hate what he did and what do I say and so on. So I get on the bus and it's a, it's a, you know, you have to get an MTA bus crossing the bridge over to Rikers. And I'm just like thinking, man, this is not my place. Because the people that are in the bus, they're like cursing. Like, they're just kind of like, <laughs> you know, normal people. I mean, like, these are people I normally don't, you know, shake my shoulders with. And it just brought me even more tension. I get to the line and people are just, I don't belong here. <laughs> so what can I say? And then the correction officers are just so rude and belittling and they're just looking down on people and they're swinging their little, you know, uh, metal detectors. What you got? What you got, right? You know, and stuff like that. And it's just crazy, right? And I'm like, man, again? So, we, I, so I wait on that line for about an hour because there's a lot of people visiting that day. So I go in. It's like a bus terminal. I had no idea, right? So you go inside and now it's a bus terminal. You have to sign up to, I am visiting this inmate. And then there's like, like four or six entries, you know, entryways. And then the buses come to pick you up. I'm like, oh, okay. So I signed up. And I'm waiting there about an hour and a half for this bus to come, right? And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what is going on? It's like already two hours past. I'm not even seeing this guy. And it's just, you know, I'm just grudging it in my heart. Finally, the bus come. I get on. They, they, they ship, you know, they, they take us to the location. And again, there's a long line. Another long line of like 30 minutes I had to wait. This time, they wanted me to take my belt off. They want to see under my underwear. I don't care. They didn't want to see that. But they, they just wanted to see everything. And I was just like, dude, are you serious? I just went through all of this and you want to do it again? So demeaning, right? And then finally, they, they shuffle us upstairs. And now I'm finally saying that. Now, the way they do this, I don't know, it's, I, I think they plan it out just really demeaning. It's like the Trojan chairs, right? The little tiny ones that your, your, your butt barely fits on. And I'm sitting there now waiting for this guy to come out. And I'm just freaking out now. Now it's three hours past, and I'm just tired. I want to go home. I don't know what to say to this guy, and I'm just waiting. And he comes out. And uh, initially... I really honestly thought, wow, he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> Other than his orange jumpsuit. And he came and sat, and there was something, something about the man. There was this radiance in his life. And, and we did some little, you know, little talk, and he, started, and he started starting to pour out his life to me and what he had experienced. He said, eight months prior, uh, actually, during the eight months, they put him in solitary confinement. Now, this is about a year and a half now that he was incarcerated in Rikers. So for the eight months, he said he refused any visitation because he was so ashamed, right? He was so ashamed of what he has done. His daughter is, you know, 
experiencing mental illnesses. His wife is estranged. And his heart must have been just so many different places. And he, and he was so angry. And he was so, so stubborn. And he just didn't know what to do. But he says that on the eighth month, something happened. He started to remember this like, sermon that he heard just on a, on, a, on a retreat. He hasn't been to church for many, many years. Back when he was young, even. He remembered this one sermon and started reaching out to his heart. And he said, oh, if, if that pastor, if that guy, whatever he said, if it's true with me, maybe I could ramify. I could, I could get some relief. I could get some sleep here in this prison. So he, he said he pulled, you know, he dragged one of the priests over and said, get me a Bible. And the priest said, all right, I'll get you a Bible. And he started reading. He started reading Romans. Now, if you haven't read Romans, chapter 1 is pretty, pretty rough, right? It makes you feel really guilty that we are created with evils and all kinds of crazy things. And we're like looking at it like, wow, we're so sinful. And that's what he experienced. He's reading this like, oh, Jesus, what have I done with my life? What have I done with everything that I've been doing? And he said, as he was reading, the grace of God started to pour in because that's what it says. Jesus started to reach out to him. He started touching his heart. And he said at that moment, after many hours of reading the Bible, he knelt down by his bed and said, Jesus, forgive me. Change my life. And that's how it started. He said he he waited about five months before he wrote the letters to all the churches and organizations that he could find. And one of them was us. And I'm sitting there listening to this. I'm like, Oh, my God. This is, this is precious time. And I'm there, and I'm thinking, I went there to minister to this guy, but he's ministering to me. And I was so thrilled listening to him. Oh, wow, what a miracle of Christ that has happened to this guy. I remember leaving there and saying, God, The true miracle is not the healing. I may have broken arm or cancer or whatever it is. These are minute. These don't even compare to what you do in our hearts. Because that's the true miracle. The miracle that from consumerism to our desire to all of these things that are happening in my heart turns into, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my strength. You are my king. That, church, is the true miracle. So this leper, this Samaritan, received that kind of miracle. John Piper is a a famous uh, Presbyterian pastor. He writes, Now and then, it needs to be said that not all thanksgiving is thanks feeling we can't make ourselves or our children say thank you whether we feel it or not but it's not a good habit especially relationship with God Jesus warns vain worship this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me 
In vain do they worship me. Thanksgiving without thanks feeling is empty. It does not count with God. Church, today, as we focus on all the festi- uh, festivals, and as we eat together, as we focus this coming week, and I'm not telling you don't go shop. <laughs> I'm not saying have fights with your wives or your husbands about who gets to cook or not. But it's a season that we should start focusing on the event of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know, I think most of you believe in Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, he's the kind of God that just wraps around you and say, I love you. doesn't matter why you're coming here, but I'm going to change all that. Just trust me and just move. And then you will see something more greater than any other miracles that could be. Amen? Those of us who've been walking this path, this journey in Christ, it is again a time of remembrance that we should go to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you. Not for the stuff that I have, but for this. For what you have done in my life. And I am totally renewed and restored because of what you did. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you.